Good morning. Welcome again to Morning Devotions and thank you for our time together. Let's open up our hearts to the Father in prayer. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. We thank you for the right to access. We thank you, Lord, that whatever's going on around here, all the things that are closed, our way into heaven is wide open. We thank you, Father, that we could come to you, bring our hearts to you, lift our souls to you. We thank you for a beautiful night's rest that you gave us, Lord. We thank you for the food that you've given us in our homes. We, we thank you that it's a different day. We thank you that in these days, Lord, we've seen your provision in advance. <laughs> you gave us our daily bread. We have food in advance to walk through this thing. God, sometimes we forget all of the little things and the little benefits that you've given us. Forgive us, Lord. We come with grateful hearts and we say thank you. Lord, I pray right now for those that are gripped in fear. Father, I break that spirit of fear in the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Oh, I break that fear in Jesus' name right now. And Lord, I speak peace into their hearts. Father, they haven't been able to sleep. Let them sit there listening to me teach this morning and fall asleep right during the word. Father, just let slumber come upon them in Jesus' name. You promise in your word that you give sleep to your beloved. Give them a gift of sleep, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Oh, God is good. We're into day four of our (laughs) vanilla lockdown. And I know things seem to be getting worse out there, but I want you to remember God is with you. It will be well. This too shall pass. It, It will be well. Sometimes you listen to the news and this area is under lockdown and this area, they don't even want to see our shadow in the streets. And, you know, you you listen to all of that and you could get really afraid. Or you can keep your heart in the word of God. You can keep a face full of Jesus. Yeah, times are tough, but God is with us and it will be well. Let's read. Psalms 91 today, every service in the evening and every morning in devotions, we're going to read Psalm 91. By the time this is finished, you'll be able to quote it from how many different translations. Today, New Living. Those who live in the shelter of the Most High will find rest in the shadow of the Almighty. This I declare about the Lord. He alone is my refuge. The hospital is not my refuge. Medicine is not my refuge. He alone is my refuge, my place of safety. He is my God, and I trust in him. For he will rescue you from every trap and protect you from deadly disease. Did you hear that? He'll protect you from deadly disease. He will cover you with his feathers and shelter you with his wings. Sister Bev taught you some beautiful things about that last night. His faithful promises are your armor and your protection. I like that. You're not protected because of vitamin C. Yes, you should take your vitamin C. You're not protected because you wash your hands with alcohol, though you should wash your hands with alcohol. We are protected by his faithful promises. Oh, I love that. You have to understand the promises of God are your shield, they're your armor. His faithful promises are your armor and protection. Do not be afraid of the terrors of the night nor the arrow that flies in the day. Do not dread the disease that stalks in darkness nor the disaster that strikes at midday. 
Though a thousand fall at your side, though 10,000 are dying around you, these evils will not touch you. Just open your eyes and see how the wicked are punished. If you make the Lord your refuge, if you make the Most High your shelter, no evil will conquer you. No plague will come near your home. Did you hear that? No plague will come near your home. For he will order his angels to protect you wherever you go. They will hold you up with their hands so that you will not even hurt your foot on a stone. You will trample upon lions and cobras. You will crush fierce lions and serpents under your feet. The Lord says, now listen to that. The Lord says, not a preacher says, not your Lola says. The Lord says, I will rescue those who love me. Just because you love him. I will rescue those who love me. I will protect those who trust in my name. When they call upon me, I will answer. I will be with them in trouble. I will rescue and honor them. I will reward them with long life and give them my salvation. Father, (laughs) we don't even know how to respond to all of your goodness. We look at the world, and as Paul says there, without God and without hope in this world. But Lord, we're not without you. You are our God. And we're not without hope because we have all of your great and precious promises. Oh, you are good, Lord, and your mercy endures forever. Reach into the hearts of every family member this morning. Let your presence come upon those homes. Fill them, Lord, with joy. Fill them with the Holy Ghost. Even in the midst of all of this chaos, let the rain of the Holy Spirit fall within their homes in Jesus' name. Let those springs of living water from within them be filled and let those rivers of living water flow out of their innermost beings. Father, let this be a beautiful time of your presence. In Jesus' name, amen. Now let's begin to worship and please remember this this video stuff. Yes, I know it's new technology. Yes, yes, yes. But remember, praise and worship is not like watching TV. Praise and worship is not like watching a a basketball game. It's not an entertainment concert. It's participative. Worship is something that you do, not something you watch. So let's open up our hearts and stand up, lift our hands before the Lord and worship.
Good morning again. I want to talk to you just practically for a minute before we get into the word today. We're in day four. Some of you, your frustration levels are beginning to show. And they're going to show because you haven't settled in. Now, the Bible teaches us that wine had to settle its dregs into a cup because wine was made very crudely in those days. It wasn't this beautiful purification process of high alcohol content like we have today. They mushed it up with their feet and then the the juice ran into pots and it had to settle. And the settling was the dregs coming to the bottle, bottom of of the cup. Sometimes you have to learn to settle in your situation. You need to just stop and settle. You're going to be here for a while. So quit kicking against the pricks, as the Bible would talk about the Apostle Paul. You know, quit quit getting frustrated about this and just, just settle in. Now, the way you settle in is, first of all, you build a routine. You say, all right, this is my life for the next week or so, so this is going to be my routine. You sit down and figure out a routine that you can... You can live with. Now, some of the things you can put in there would be what I call Daniel's prayer, where you pray morning, noon, and night. You have three seasons of Bible reading and prayer a day. Uh, Plan to read through the New Testament. Um, Get some things. Some of you professionals and career people and businessmen, get to iTunes University. It's free, and you can vastly upgrade your knowledge base. I mean, young people, if you're having been having trouble with physics or chemistry or statistical analysis or whatever, you can get online to Harvard, Yale, Oxford, Stanford. I mean, all these courses are online for free and you boost up your knowledge base. So do some learning. Even with the pastors, we had everything prepared for this. I got a book by N.T. Wright, which is New Testament survey. It's about that thick. Got the video series that goes with it. Got the workbook that goes with it. And we're going to have all the pastors starting to work their way through this. So we upgrade our knowledge base. Now, each one of us needs to be productive in this time. You should spend some time every day thinking and planning about the future because this is going to pass. This is, this is not the new normal. This is just an interruption in life. It will pass. And you need to sit down and have your plans for when this is over, how do I pick up pieces and move back into life again? There's going to be a lot of people that will take them three months or six months to get moving again. A lot of businesses will take them three months to six months to get moving again because they're not thinking about it. The way to make profit, the way to make success is to be ready, move your plan forward, and have your business growing and ready to grow, ready to relaunch, so to speak, in Jesus' name. All right, just a few thoughts for today. Now, let me begin to walk you through Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6, beginning with verse 1. On a Sabbath, on a Shabbat. Now, you must understand, in Shabbat, the people of Israel just basically stop. Now, if you are in a a secular city like Sephora or Tiberias, there wasn't much difference in Jesus' day. But Jesus was a conservative rabbi. He didn't hang out and engage the culture in Zaporia with the Colosseums and the, the theaters. He, he, he was a conservative rabbi. He was with the conservative Jewish community. Now, in these cities like Capernaum, which was a conservative Jewish community, on Shabbat, everything stopped. I mean, it just stopped. People went to synagogue and they stayed at home. It was a day of rest. It was a day of family. 
Uh, when Shabbat begins to this day, the Jewish people have a big family dinner, and it is called Shabbat. And this is a very special dinner that the Jewish people have every Friday night when Shabbat begins at sundown and lasts through Saturday, sundown on Saturday. Now, on Shabbat, everything is stopped. So understand this. So on Shabbat, people don't travel. They don't walk very far. It's called a Sabbath day's journey. That was just a measured portion of how far they were allowed to walk. That's why even to this day, if you go to uh, Makati, you'll see that the Jews live very close to the synagogue there in Makati because they walk to synagogue. It's a Sabbath day's walk. On a Sabbath, while he was going through the grain fields, so Jesus was not just sitting at home on Shabbat. While he was going through the grain fields, now, so Jesus is out, and this is a pretty long walk, walking through grain fields. It violates the Sabbath day walk rule of their religious leaders. Not what God said, what their religious leaders said. His disciples plucked and ate some heads of grain, rubbing them together in their hands. The grain was ripe, so they'd rub it together and then they'd eat the grain. But some of the Pharisees said, Why, what are you doing? Why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? So not just the walk, but even the rubbing of the grains together. Now, before you think that that's weird, to this day, an Orthodox Jew in Israel would not push an elevator button. There's a Shabbat elevator in every hotel. They will not even push the elevator button on Shabbat because that's considered work. But some of the Pharisees said, why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the, Shabbat, on the Sabbath? Now, not what God said what they had changed things to say. And Jesus answered, have you not read what David did when he was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God, took and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any, but the priest to eat. And he gave it to those with him. And he said to them, the son of man is Lord of the Sabbath. Now he said, no, wait a minute, guys. You don't know what you're talking about. You, you've got all these little rules and regulations about Shabbat, but he said, I'm the Lord of Shabbat. Now, that's something you need to wrap your head around. How are you going to tell the Lord of Shabbat what he should do on Shabbat? He knows Shabbat. He created Shabbat. Okay. Verse 6, on another Shabbat, on another Sabbath. So, so we're having a problem here with Shabbat. On another Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And a man was there whose right hand was withered. And the scribes and Pharisees watched him to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath so that they might find a reason to accuse him. Now, <laughs> have you ever, ever noticed there are people who watch you to play gotcha? You know the game gotcha. Well, they watch you to play gotcha. They're not there to listen. They're not there to learn. They're not there to, to believe, join their faith together and see a miracle. They're there to play gotcha. So they watched him to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath so that they might find a reason to accuse him. But he knew their thoughts. And he said to the man with the withered hand, come and stand here. Now, isn't it interesting? Jesus didn't say, let's just do this privately afterwards. He said, no, come and stand here. And he rose and stood there. And Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or destroy it? Now, this is the Lord of the Sabbath talking. And after looking around at them all, he said to him, stretch out your hand. And he did so, and his hand was restored. 
but they were filled with fury and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. Now, there's a few things I want you to see here. Yes, we always focus on these people who got angry at a miracle. Yes, yes, yes. Yes, it's beautiful that Jesus doesn't do anything hidden. He stands it right up there and defies them. But I want you to see this man's position for a minute. He's standing in a place where people are angry. He's standing there with every eye fixed on him, and he knows what these people are thinking, that any miracle that happens in his life is wrong. But this man still chose to believe. Now, sometimes, brothers and sisters, please forgive me. You and I find ourselves in situations of complete, not just unbelief, but rebellious, hostile unbelief. And the whole environment around us says, no, you can't receive this. And you and I just have to decide, no, this is a promise of God, and I will receive it. Now, I had to change my illustrations, because I wouldn't embarrass anybody. But I will never forget going into a hospital many years ago and praying for one of our old ladies at that time. She's in heaven now. And she was dying. And the doctors have said, there's nothing more we can do. And her families were all anti-miracles. The day of miracles is over. It's all a bunch of fakery. It's all a bunch of quackery. There's nothing real. And when I came in, they looked at me and they knew who I was and immediately were very hostile to me. And I looked at the Lola and I said, Nay, do you want me to pray for you? And she said, please, Pastor, I want to live. And I prayed for her. And God healed that woman of her cancer. A week later, she was out of the hospital. She lived another 10 years before the Lord took her to heaven. She chose to believe. I will never forget it. She chose to believe in the middle of those relatives sitting there, very angry and not, not wanting to participate at all. You could almost hear their thoughts. It was just so hostile. But she chose to believe. And I've always thought back of that when I read this passage. Here is a man that in the middle of such hostility, not just lack of faith, anti-faith, anti-belief, rebellious unbelief, angry unbelief. Here was a man who still, when Jesus said, stretch out your hand, he stretched out his hand. He obeyed in faith. I, I look at a man like this and just, wow, I always want to have that kind of faith that looks at Jesus and doesn't look at the peers around me. Something to meditate on today. In these days, in these days when everybody's attacking him over Shabbat, in these days he went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued. Jesus did all night prayer meetings by himself. He went out to a mountain all night and prayed. And when day came, he called his disciples. Now, we're not just dealing with 12, we're dealing with his disciples. There's a large crowd of them. And he chose from them. So the 12 are not just his disciples. He chose from them 12, whom he named apostles. So the apostles and the disciples, now we have a different category of followers. Simon, whom he called Peter, Andrew, his brother, and James and John, and Philip and Bartholomew, and Matthew and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, who is also called the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. So from this large group of followers called disciples, which simply means students, he called 12 to be apostles. Verse 17, he came down with them and stood on a level place. 
with a great crowd of disciples. So notice, a great crowd of his disciples. See, we get this idea that there were only a few disciples. And when we talk about making disciples, we talk about what Jesus was doing with the 12. You always need to differentiate between the training of the 12 and disciples. With a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon who came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases and those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured. Now, I want you to notice people came to Jesus for three reasons. They came to Jesus to hear him. Every time people come to the house of God, they should hear the word of the Lord. Secondly, they came to be healed of their diseases. There should always be prayer for healing. In every service, people come to Jesus to be healed. We, we can't say that he's changed. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. You know, when, when churches tell sick people to stay away, I, I don't understand that, please. I, I can't tell sick people to stay away. Now, you know, the government will say, if people have a fever, send them home. I told our staff, if people have a fever, call me. Sister Bev is preaching today. I'll be out praying for them. Well, they, they come to Jesus to hear him, to be healed of the diseases, and those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured. Now, there are spirits that possess us, and then there are unclean spirits that trouble people, and you need to be cured. Ah, now, unclean spirits are ugly. These are, these are filthy spirits. This is where you get pornography and lust and all kinds of nasty stuff. Okay? They were cured. And all the crowd sought to touch him, for power came out from him and healed them all. Now, every time I read that verse, I go, Lord, you're the same yesterday, today, and forever. And all the crowd sought to touch him, not, not the disciples, not the apostles. They sought to touch him. They did not have misplaced faith, for power was coming out from him, not from preachers, from him, from Jesus. And he healed them all. I look forward to a service where the presence of Jesus is so strong that every person there is healed. Sometimes when we do the, the healing crusades, it's, it's very difficult on me and I have to work on my emotions even as I leave the auditorium because I see people that they walk out not healed. Well, Pastor Zumro, that's not my faith. Well, you know what? It's not my faith either. I, I pray for all of them, but the reality is that there are people that walk out healed. We see beautiful miracles, but you see people still in that wheelchair go out. I look forward, I fast, I pray for a day in which we walk into a crusade and the presence of Jesus is so strong that every person is healed. What a beautiful, beautiful time. Now, this is how I do my devotions. These are the these are the thoughts I think. These are the things I pray in devotions. Verse 20. And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples. Now, this is not the 12. This is that great crowd of his disciples. So you have to look back in context. Who's he talking to? He lifted up his eyes on his disciples, this great crowd of disciples from verse 17, and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when men, when people hate you, and when they exclude you, and revile you, and spurn your name on evil on account of the Son of Man. Now, 
Let's just stop on that last one for a minute. Blessed means happy. Happy are you when people hate you because of Jesus. Happy are you when they exclude you because of Jesus. Now, some of you young people and some of you business people, please forgive me. We get excluded because of Jesus. We get excluded because of our stand for righteousness. People exclude us from things. <laughs> there, there were some preachers that were having a drinking party. And I didn't know it was a drinking party. I just thought it was a get-together. And the next morning at breakfast, I said, hey, I hear you guys had a get-together last night. Why didn't you invite me? I thought they were having a prayer meeting. And they thought, oh, you weren't needed there. Well, I was feeling really cool. Well, I... well, one of them came over and said to me later, Pastor, with all due respect, we know you. You would not participate. I said, I love to pray. He said, no, Pastor, we weren't praying. He said, we were getting pretty drunk last night. We were partying pretty hard last night. And I said, ah, so you excluded me because of Jesus. And he bowed his head. He came to see me later and said, Pastor, would you pray with me? I want to be more like you. And I said, I don't want you to be more like me. I want you to be more like Jesus. Jesus was a conservative rabbi. He didn't engage in that kind of stuff. Blessed are you, happy when people hate you, when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy. Wait a minute, they're excluding me, they're talking bad about me and I'm supposed to leap for joy? Jesus said, yeah. Your reward is great in heaven for so their fathers did to the prophets. He said, hey, they've always treated men and women of God like this. They've always treated the righteous like this. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did the false prophets. If you're listening to me and you're a young pastor and you're buying into a lot of this new Western style Christianity that's based on marketing and and how to present yourself and, you know, you want the world to speak well of you. But Jesus said, woe to you. You're trying to be all popular with the world. Woe to you when all people speak well of you. For so, they, so their fathers did the false prophets. Real prophets, real men and women of God are not going to ever win a popularity contest. Real men and women of God are not going to be popular people. We're going to be like a John the Baptist. We're going to be like Jesus. We're going to be like Paul. Real men and real women of God. People are not going to speak well of them. They only speak well of the false prophets. Okay, we better leave that one alone. We're getting pretty strong this morning. Let's come back over to Deuteronomy now. Deuteronomy. Chapter, let's get back here. Chapter 1, we're starting a new book today. Deuteronomy, chapter 1. Find my pens here, there we go. These are the words that Moses spoke to all Israel beyond the Jordan in the wilderness in the Arabah opposite Zuf, between Paran and Tophel, Laban, Hazorah, Dizem. It is 11 days journey from Horeb, 
by the way of Mount Seir to Kadesh Barnea. In the 40th year, on the first day of the 11th month, Moses spoke to the people of Israel according to all that the Lord had given him in commandment to them. Now notice, he's not give, giving them something new. He's teaching and explaining what has already been taught. After he had defeated Sihon, the king of the Amorites, who lived in Eshpan, and Og, king of Bashan, who lived in Ashtaroth, and in Edri, beyond the Jordan, in the land of Moab, Moses undertook to explain this law. Now notice, it's not, a just, it's not enough to just tell people, this is the scripture. We have to explain it. Think with me to the great revival in Nehemiah's time. For one quarter of the day, they stood up and read and explained, gave meaning to the word of God. It's not enough to just read the Bible to people. We have to explain it. The Lord our God said to us in Horeb, you have stayed long enough at this mountain. Turn and take your journey and go to the hill country of the Amorites and to all their neighbors in the Arabah, in the hill country and on the lowland, in the Negev and by the seacoast, the land of the Canaanites and Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates. See, I have set the land before you. Go in and take possession of the land the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give to them and to their offspring after them. Now, there's several things I want you to notice here. We've taught a lot about taking possession in the book of Numbers. Here, I want you to focus on the promises. I want you to notice that God continues to fulfill promises even after people have physically died. Because remember, death is just leaving this physical body, it's separation from this tent, as Paul says, that we live in. They don't, they don't cease to exist. They go to heaven to be with God. So God doesn't say, all right, while you're on earth, I'll keep my promises. But when you get to heaven, uh, my promises are no longer valid. So if you don't receive it while you're on earth, uh, there is no future of that promise. Well, that means all of God's promises are, are limited by life. And I'm sorry, they're not. This is why I teach you the principle called generational promises. Abraham died and the promises passed to Isaac. Isaac died and the promise passed to Jacob. Jacob died and the promise passed to their offspring. There are promises, and you just some of you just need to back up and get a revelation of this. Some of the promises that God makes to you and to your family are bigger than one generation. They're multi-generational promises. And when you leave this physical body and go to heaven, those promises don't disappear. Those promises are passed on to the next generation. I'm convinced that many of the wonderful things that happen in my life today are because of the faithfulness of my grandfather and the faithfulness of my father and the faithfulness of my great uncle and the faithfulness of my great great grandmother. These were promises that have been passed on down through the generations. Verse nine, at that time I said to you, and, and let me just back up on that. Just back up the bus for a minute and stop. Some of you Lolas and Lolas need to understand the promises that God made to you. They're going to go down to your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren. The greatest legacy that you can leave a family is not a gazillion pesos in the bank. The greatest inheritance that you can leave your family is that you have sought God and been faithful to God, and God has made promises to you as a family. Because those promises... You talk about an inheritance, now that's an inheritance. Verse nine, 
at that time, I said to you, I'm not able to bear you by myself. Now, Moses said, you know, folks, there's a million people. I can't do all of this. There's an old famous movie quote, every man should know his limitations. Well, every spiritual leader needs to know their limitations. Moses understood his limitations. I'm not able to bear you by myself. When the church was small back in the 80s, I could visit everybody. I could do all the hospital visitation. My goodness, I used to help clean the floors and polish the floors and get them ready for Sunday services. But that day is over. I can't bear you all myself now. This is why we have all of our wonderful assistant pastors that, that help us get the visitation done and do all of the work. I used to do all, almost every wedding. I used to do almost every baby dedication. I, I can't do all that now. Every spiritual leader has to know their limitations. He said, at that time, I said to you, I'm not able to bear you by myself. And, you know, as a leader, you, you can't feel condemned about that, all right? You are a human being. You're not God. The Lord your God has multiplied you, and behold, you are as numerous as the stars of the heaven. May the Lord, the God of your fathers, make you a thousand times as many as you are. He said, now listen, I don't want your growth to be limited by my inabilities. He said, I want God to make you even bigger than you are now. I look forward to the day when COP is 100,000 people. I want you to grow even bigger. So we, we don't say, all right, if I can't manage it, I don't want God to bless them anymore. No, as a leader, you, you, your desire is, may God make you a thousand times as many as you are and bless you as he has promised you. I like that. Bless you as he has promised you. Always bring people, as a leader, always bring people back to the promises of God. How can I bear by myself the weight and the burden of you and your strife? Now, whoa. First, there's the burden of leadership. And then there's the burden of strife. Now, these are two burdens that leaders have to bear, the burden of the people and the burden of the people's strife. People argue. People fuss. Oh, Pastor Summer, they're, 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 no, that's not reality. There is no perfect church. There's no perfect family. There's no perfect group of people that never have a disagreement. And what you have to understand is that strife, trying to help people get along, that is a heavy burden that leaders have to bear. He said, how can I bear by myself the weight and the burden of you and your strife? Choose for your tribes wise, understanding, and experienced men, and I will appoint them as your heads. Now notice, this was not democracy. This was not you choose people and that you want. He said, you, you choose people that are number one, wise, the rule of delegation, number two, understanding, and number three, experience. And then Moses said, I will delegate to them some of my authority. He said, you're not taking authority from me. I will delegate to them some of my authority. And you answered, the thing that you have spoken is good for us to do. So I took the heads of your tribes, wise and experienced men, and set them as heads over you. Commanders of thousands, commanders of hundreds, commanders of 50, commanders of tens, and officers throughout your tribes. And I charged your judges at that time, hear the cases between your brothers and judge righteously between a man and his brother or the alien who was with them. Now notice, the aliens among us were to be treated exactly the same. Now, now sometimes, you know, people want to have one rules for the local people and one rule for the foreigners. But in God's law, if you were a foreigner living among the people of Israel, you got treated the same way and with the same fairness. Now, but back up. Notice that the strife is covered. People are going to disagree. Two people are going to look at something and see something completely different. 
two people are going to remember something and remember it completely different. And neither one of them is lying. You know, you need to get out of this thing. Well, somebody's lying. Uh, people just remember things differently. Now, now, let me illustrate to you. When I was a boy, we were very poor, but I thought we had a big house. Because when you're little, everything looks big. So I thought, okay, we had a big house. A few years ago, that whole section of where I grew up was being sold off for nothing. I mean, it was like 5,000 US dollars for the house and lot. And I, I looked it up because I was curious about it. And I looked up the house that I grew up in in this little town called Flint, Michigan on Maryland Street. And it was only 67 square meters. I thought, that's a small house. But it looked so big when I was little. Yeah, everything looks big when you're little. Perspective affects how you see things. You remember things differently because of your perspective. So there's going to be strife among the people of God. Christians are going to disagree. The people of God are going to argue. But you've got people that will judge righteously between good people of good faith. You shall hear the small and the great alike. You shall not be intimidated by anyone. So it doesn't matter whether somebody is rich or poor, a powerful politician, and they're up against a guy who lives on the street. You shall not be intimidated by anyone, for the judgment is God's. There is no, there's no different balances in justice with God. If a case is too hard for you, you shall bring it to me, and I will hear it. And I will command you at that time all the things that you should do. So the principle of passing it up. You know, I tell connect group leaders, if you, can, if you can solve the problem between your members by yourself, great. If you can't, bring it to the pastor. If the pastor can help them figure this out, great. If they can't, bring it to a department head. If the department can't help them figure it out, great. Bring it to me. And we sit down and help people figure out what to do on the basis of what God commands us. Now, we have no right to just make our own opinions. What does the Bible say? Verse 19. Then we set out from Horeb and went through all the great and terrifying wilderness that you saw on the way to the hill country of the Amorites, as the Lord our God commanded us. And we came to Kadesh Barnea, and I said to you, you have come to the hill country of the Amorites, which the Lord our God has given us. See, the Lord your God has set the land before you. Go up and take possession, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has told you. Do not fear or be dismayed. Then all of you came near and said, Let us send men before us, that we may explore the land for us, and bring us word again of the way by which we must go, and the cities into which we must come. The things seem good to me. Now, let's just stop right there. Where did this whole idea of the twelve spies come from? came from the people. What was the purpose of the 12 spies? To find the way to go. They were to explore the land and bring word of the way by which we must go up. In other words, moving a million people into this place, how do we do that? Where is the route big enough? Where are the valleys wide enough? Where is the route big enough for us to bring the people into this land. They were, look, they were to look for the root. They were to be the ways before there was a ways. All right. They were to be the ways. How do you get there? Now, please understand, Moses agreed with this. Moses said, okay, it seems good. Moses never agreed for them to go up and make decisions on whether we should go in or not go in. 
The purpose of the 12 spies was not to study the strength of the land or were they capable of doing it. The purpose of the 12 spies was to find out how to do God's will, not make a decision about God's will. Now, this is like Mary. I've always taught you that Mary, she asked God, how shall this be? She was not showing lack of faith or disobedience. She just wanted to know how. Now, as long as your question with the will of God is how, you're in good shape. But too often, while people are working on the how, they change the how into the should we, can we, is it possible? And then faith begins to be destroyed. Now, now this is an incredible truth that you need to get a hold of when it comes to the will of God in your life. Never come to God and say, God, I don't think I can do it. You always come to God and say, how shall it be? What, what is the journey? What is, what is the route that we take? Now, this was the purpose of the 12 spies. When that purpose was changed, then all of that chaos came for the next 40 years because 10 men changed the purpose of their directive. Now, let me say that again. When 10 men changed the purpose of their directive, you are to find the way in to move a million people. When those 10 men stopped thinking about how do we come in and began to think about, should we do this? Is it possible? Are we capable? When men change the purpose of their directive, then all the chaos begins to flow. The thing seemed good to me because it wasn't a lack of faith. It was a how-to. And I took 12 men from you, one from each tribe, and they turned and went up into the hill country and came to the valley of Eshcol and spied it out. And they took in their hand some of the fruit of the land and brought it back to us and brought us word again and said, it is a good land that the Lord our God has given us. Yet you would not go up. Now, isn't it interesting? They said it's a good land, but that's not all they said. Moses leaves out in this recounting. They also said, but there are giants in the land and their cities are fortified and we felt like grasshoppers in our own sight. Uh, all Moses did was remind them of what the good thing the 10 spies said. See, with, with every lack of faith, there's always a good report in there someplace. Yet you would not go up, but rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. And you murmured in your tents and said, because the Lord hated us, he has brought us out of the land of Egypt to give us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us. Where are we going up? Our brothers have made our hearts melt. Now listen to these guys playing kawawa, okay? But notice, you murmured in your tents. And what did they say when they murmured? God hates us. See, a lack of faith, I taught you last night, faith has two components, the knowledge of God's power and the knowledge of God's character. These people questioned both, especially the character. God, you hated us. That's why you've done this to us. No, God loved them. That's why he was doing it to them. Our brothers have made our hearts melt, saying, the people are greater and taller than we. The cities are great and fortified to the heaven. And besides, we have seen the sons of Anakim there. Now notice, people can destroy your faith. These people were pretty excited about getting into the promised land, but their hearts melted because of the words of unbelief. Now, now please just let me talk to you straight up. Sometimes you have to decide who to listen to. There are people in my life I don't listen to because, you know what, they say positive things, but they have no faith. They're just, they're just pretty words. They've never done anything. 
If they had to do something, they wouldn't do it, but they're, they're full of pretty words. The other people I don't listen to in life are people who say things can't be done because everything I've ever done in life, people said it couldn't be done. If God tells you to do something, God will help you do it. Yes, we can't do it in our own strength. And the sooner you and I accept that, that God didn't tell us to do what we could do in our own strength because there's no glory for him in it. There's no need for him in it. God's promises are bigger than our abilities. Oh, get a hold of that. God's promises are bigger than our abilities. So you have to be careful. Don't listen to people that are always saying, it can't be done. You know what? With God, if God has told you to do something, it can and it will be done. So just learn, if you hang out with these people who, who say it can't be done, your hearts will melt. Your hearts will melt. <laughs> All of your courage will melt away like butter in the sun. All of your faith will melt away like ice cream when it's 45 degrees outside and you put the ice cream on, a, on the hot concrete and just bleh, turns into fried ice cream. Your hearts will melt when you listen to words like that. Verse 29, then I said, do not be in dread or afraid of them. He said, okay, you've got a decision to make. You, people have messed with your heart, now you decide. The Lord your God who goes before you will himself fight for you, just as he did for you in Egypt before your eyes, and in the wilderness where you've seen how the Lord your God carried you as a man carries his son all the way that you went until you came to this place. He said, now listen, guys, you've got to make a choice. The role of a leader when... The 10 spies have gone through and melted everybody's heart. The role of a leader is to stand up and say, now listen, get your focus back on God. God will take care of you. God will provide. And then people have to make a choice. He said, now you made the wrong choice. Verse 32. Yet in spite of this word, you did not believe the Lord your God. It was your choice who went before you in the way to seek out a way to pitch your tents in fire by night and in the cloud by day to show you by what way you should go. He said, you, you made a choice. It was your choice. Now, now, some of you, please forgive me. You walked away from promises of God. God didn't walk away. You walked away. You made the choice. Verse 34. And the Lord heard your words and was angered. And he swore. So God got angry and God made a decision. Say, Pastor, should you ever make decisions when you're angry? Well, God did. Not one of these men of this evil generation shall see the good land that I swore to give to your fathers, except Caleb, the son of Jephunneh. He will see it. And to him and his children, I will give the land on which he has trodden, because he has wholly followed the Lord. Now notice, extra blessing to people who stood in faith. Not just the inheritance that their family would receive, but the land on which his feet walked, God said he gets it. And that story is fulfilled later. Even with me, the Lord was angry on your account and said, you shall not go in there. Joshua, the son of Nun, who stands before you, he shall enter. Encourage him, for he shall cause Israel to inherit it. Now, young leaders need to be encouraged. Sometimes when young leaders take on big projects, they need to be encouraged. Encourage him, for he shall cause Israel to inherit it. As for your little ones, who you said would become prey, and your children, who today have no knowledge of good and evil, they shall go in there. He said, you know what? You said these little ones would be destroyed and killed. He said, they're going to be the ones that go in, not you. And to them I will give it, and they will possess it. But as for you, 
turn and journey into the wilderness in the direction of the Red Sea. Then you answered me, we have sinned against the Lord. We ourselves will go up and fight just as the Lord our God commanded us. And every one of you fastened on his weapons of war and thought it was easy to go up to the hill country. Now notice, a lack of faith changes destiny. Whoa, no, you just need to get a hold of that. Wrote that in the little margin of my Bible here. The lack of faith changes destiny. You, you can't go back and do what God told you to do before when you've walked away from it once. The will of God keeps moving. God keeps moving. God said, no, 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 we've made a different decision now. We're not going backwards in this. Now, they thought, well, you know, we can do it. They thought it easy to go to the hill country. And the Lord said to me, say to them, do not go up and fight for I am not in your midst. You see, presence, not ability, brings success. It's another little thing I wrote here in the margin. Presence, not ability. His presence brings success, not our ability. For I am not in your midst, lest you be defeated before your enemies. So I spoke to you, and you would not listen. But you rebelled against the command of the Lord. Now here's second rebellion. God said, go in. They said, no. God said, don't go in. They said, yes, we're going to go in. But you rebelled against the command of the Lord and presumptuously. Now here's presumptive faith. Here is presumptuous faith. Not real faith, presumptuous faith. And they went up into the hill country. Then the Amorites who lived in that hill country came out against you and chased you as bees do. <laughs> have you ever been chased by bees? I have. And beat you down in Seir as far as Horma. And you returned and wept before the Lord. But the Lord did not listen to your voice or give ear to you. So you remained at Kadesh many days, the days that you remained there. Now notice. How many times do people disobey God, disobey God again, and then when they are completely defeated and destroyed, oh God, how did this happen? <laughs> as human beings, as the people of God, we haven't changed much. May I please encourage you, just do what God says. His presence brings you success in everything you do. All right, we've had a great time reading the scriptures today. We're out of time. Let me pray with you very quickly. Father, we've had a lot of truth laid out today. Keep your hand upon your people. Let your presence fill their homes right now, Lord. Let your presence fill those homes right now. Let the angels of God be given charge concerning them. Those ministering spirits assigned to us, standing outside of their homes, that sickness will not come near their home. I thank you for it, Father, in Jesus' name. We'll see you in the service tonight at 7 o'clock. See you right here.